The next question from an MBT forum user is on the question of time. My question has to do with the concept of time within the consciousness system and how to better navigate or query the system with regard to time. Here in PMR, which is physical matter reality, we rely on man-made indicators to help us keep track of time, clocks, calendars. However, in non-physical matter reality, there doesn't seem to be such indicators nor a central clock to access. It seems like the only way to keep track of time is to query when an event or thing had a change of state. For example, if you're observing an event and want to rewind or fast forward 10 minutes, 10 years or whatever, the non-physical matter reality system doesn't seem to compute. It seems like you have to query the next significant change of state. And even then, you might jump further than you expected to or not far enough, depending on how the system interprets the word or intention change, significant or state. It is a lot using, like using a VHS tape and trying to find the section that actually you want to observe. When you went to jump within a VHS tape and you have to fast forward or rewind and check every so often to see where you intend to be, uh, the questions, is there a better, more efficient way of navigating or querying the non-physical matter reality time and watching a string of events happen, sort of like a time-lapse video? Or is the only way to keep querying and adjusting, querying and adjusting? And is there any way to keep a general sense of time similar to what we experience here in physical matter reality while in non-physical matter reality. Okay, um, a little thing first about time before I answer that question. You know, each virtual reality has its own clock. So what our virtual reality, we she called, he called PMR, our physical universe has its own clock. So time moves through, you know, time keeps progressing a certain delta T at a time in this particular virtual reality. You go to a different virtual reality and they have their own clock. It's not the same clock. It's not necessarily ticking at the same rate, whatever. It's just its own clock. So time passes there based on that clock. So all virtual realities do have a clock. Um, it, they're just not necessarily the same clock ticking at the same rate. Now, if you have something that is, as far as this practical question of how do you deal with sequencing, if you have something that's going on here in the physical, in this time, you can use this time base um, to pose your, your intent. Let's say you are healing somebody and you'd like to know the, prognos you know, the prognosis over time. You'd like to see how are they going to get better. Given this work that I'm doing, now on them, how is that, how are they going to get better? Um, I'd like to see their health, and now you can think of a graph. I've got health of how healthy they are from zero to perfectly healthy on the y-axis, right? From zero to, to one, probability of health, I guess, the one being perfectly healthy. And then on the time axis, on the x-axis going out, uh, so you can look at that and you can say, well, I'd like to see their health uh, a week from now, two weeks from now, a year from now. I'd like to see it every five years for the next 20 years. So you'll get four little tick marks on your graph and each one will be, you know, 20 years apart. And your graph will change to give you all of this data. So indeed you can get not, you know, data from uh, outside of this physical reality and you can get it to where it, it is given to you in terms of the clock in this physical reality. So it gives it to you by year, by decade, or by week, or even by a minute if you want. And you can get that data that is referenced to our physical reality clock. Okay, now, so in that case, it's just a matter of intent. You're asking for data that way. It knows how to parse that data because it's looking at probabilities. Well, what's the probability that it's gonna be this way in a year? What's the probability it's gonna be that way in a year? We don't know for sure how it's going to be in a year because this is not a deterministic simulation. It's a probabilistic simulation. And what you're getting is just probability values, not that this is the way it is going to be, but this is the way it looks like it's probably going to, going to be. 
that person and you can make other choices that affect that. So it can it can change. Future can always change based on free will choice. So that's one thing. You can get non-physical data to to parse itself in terms of physical time. Now, if you're out in a non-physical and you want to know, well, what time is it? <laughs> you know, what time is it here? Well, that is probably a very difficult question for the larger reality to give you an answer to. How do they give that to you? In terms of what? You see, so if you're out in a non-physical and you say, what time is it? That's kind of an impossible question to answer because your only sense of time is time back in the physical reality where you originated from and where you are now in the non-physical doesn't work that way. It's not the same time. So it's not going to tell you, oh, it's 10 minutes to lunchtime or something like that because in the non-physical there is no lunchtime, you see. So all of our time, you know, kind of our, our um, signposts, the things that we uh, that we uh, would that would give time some kind of context, some kind of meaning for us, don't apply to this non-physical reality because it's a different clock, it's a different place. Nobody eats lunch in, you know, the non-physical reality. You know, nobody has a body to feed in the non-physical reality unless you're in some other physical reality. Now, if you go to a different physical reality and you're in that, well, they have their own clock and you can ask what time it is and you can look at look at look at your watch and you can see what time it is you know now you're on their time you're on the time of that reality and everything happens according to that but that has nothing to do with your time back in this reality they're two different clocks so as you go from reality frame to reality frame um, your sense of time will depend on the kind of reality frame it is so if you go to the dream reality frame and you ask what time it is or a, not a physical frame that's a very loose rule set, you're not going to know because time's not an issue there. Things just happen. It's an experiential place and time is not important. And there's no way for them to tell you what the time is because your only time re reference, the only context you have is time in your own primary reality frame. For us, that's this physical reality, virtual reality. So it's a very problematic question. You may be asking questions that don't really have an answer. Uh, your time isn't isn't their time, but you can get the non-physical data to give you data according to your time. If you're talking about events that happen here, so the, see the events that happen here is this person's illness and how they get better. That's something that's happening here. So you can get data from the non-physical that'll tell you what the probability is of them getting better or getting worse over the next, and you can put your, your time unit in you want, you know, the next hour or the next year or the next decade or whatever. And you can make your graph has as many long and X axis as you, as you want and let it scroll by. So hopefully that answered that question. I think a little bit of the question was hard to understand because the person was kind of confused about what time meant in the various reality frames, but hopefully that will help. Well, Tom, suppose there was an event that happened outside of PMR. You could still reference it in in terms of the time. You can here. reference it very generally in terms of the time here, mm. but it's not. It's a very general reference. In other words, I can say that I was, you know, out in non-physical reality, and while I was there, a particular event happened that was associated with this physical reality. And that was 20 years ago. You see, I can say that. So now I can associate that event with 20 years ago. Okay, now that 20 years ago, though, is a reference to our time. As far as from the perspective of that non-physical reality, you know, 20 years ago doesn't mean anything to them. That's, that's not their time, that's, that's our time. So I can have that reference because I was there, you see, 20 years ago, this event, I watched this event and I was part of that event. And if that event had some connection with this physical reality frame, then I can kind of connect those two. If it didn't, then all I can say is that 20 years ago, I had this experience. You can't say what, what the time, what the time was like in that non-physical thing. You know, it's, it's not, 
it's not the same. And that non-physical reality, it may have seemed like twice that far or half that far. You can't really make comparisons between between the two if there's no connection. If the event didn't have any connection to this physical reality, then you can't really put a time to it. They're just different different systems. All right, Tom, the next question is from another MBT forum user. And he has a fascination with the concept of black holes. Um, has anything ever been calculated on them? Um, what kind of information would there be? And are they explorable? Give me just a second, I'll tell you. Well, sort of yes and no. I have never really tried to go to visit a, a black hole before, but I did just then because you asked. And it's explorable in the sense that you get an impression of what it's like, but the impression is not specific enough that it's really of much value. What I did is I, with my intent, entered as a, as a non, not as a physical, because as a physical, you would, if you wanted to see it as a physical person would see it, you know, like if we were looking at something here doing remote viewing, you'd want it, you'd have an intention to see it as a physical person would see it. If you're going to do a remote viewing, I'm going to go to this place and tell you what's there. And then you're saying, I, I want to see what a physical person would see. Well, if you go to a black hole and say, I'd want to see what a physical person would see, you won't see anything because a physical person wouldn't exist in a black hole. They would be immediately vaporized, you see. The pressure and temperature and whatever would be such that there are no physical persons there, and a physical person can't see anything because there's, you know, all their atoms are scattered all over the black hole instantly. So, and that's the wrong question to ask. So, you have to go there as a non physical being without viewing it the way a physical being would view it to see what you would perceive. And all I perceived on that visit was. Something that I, you know, if I had to describe it with something else, it would almost be like being in the in the middle of the sun. It was bright. It was dynamic. It was loud. It was roaring. And that was about it. So I got that impression. It's not like you can pick out details and say, oh, yeah, I can see there's where, you know, such and such a comet got sucked into that black hole, you know, six centuries ago. And there it is. It's just was a. It's like being inside a plasma and it was very bright. There was a lot of motion going on and I could kind of hear a, a, a roar going on in the background. Like you might hear, um, I don't know, in a tornado or in a, if you were in the middle of a big fire, you know, the, the roar. Uh, but that was it. That's the only impressions I got. So I don't know that it's possible to really go in there and pick out Details, because there really aren't any details to pick out that I could interpret. Well, I think that's the um, the general gist of his question was if you were exploring as consciousness, mm -hmm. this concept that we describe as a black hole, what information would you get? And that yeah, is that the information, information that you but got. You, but you have to realize that that is my interpretation of the data. I get the data. I ask the question, what would it be like? I get the data and I have to interpret it in terms of physical experience before I can speak it to you. It comes in the language. My language is limited to physical experience. So that's my metaphor, if you will. That's my, uh, you know, that's my interpretation of the experience. And it just was very, very bright, a lot of motion and noisy. In other words, I guess it's the motion. I don't know what the noise represented, but uh, you kind of got, you know, I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say, well, if I had also gone to the center of the sun, it would have seemed similar. Although a sun and a black hole are, are kind of opposite concepts, right? One is putting out light and the other one isn't. The other one's sucking in light, but the inside seemed somewhat what I would guess is, is similar, but my interpretation is limited by my experience and whatever, and I have to put it into a physical language. So don't take any of it 
very seriously. You know, it's right. not a, it's not something that you could say, oh, Tom Campbell says inside of black holes are like this. You know, well, that's wouldn't be that'd be a foolish thing to say, because that's just my impression, my metaphor in in this language for that experience. And I didn't spend a lot of time there. I only spent just enough to experience it and came right back. It's interesting, nevertheless, and I think that's the question he had. Um, you know, what what type of information could you extract? Of course, his experience would be different. Um, our next question is from Oliver, and it's concerning a constant ringing sound, almost like the hertz that you get in binary beats. A person has contacted him and asked for his advice. He is suffering from a ringing noise about, of about 5,000 hertz of it in his ear, a constant pressure in his head for about two years now. He thinks there might be a deeper reason for his condition, but he's unsure what the reason would be. Right about at, this, at the time when his problem started two years ago, he consulted a medium and received advice on making changes in his business. He's not implemented these changes as of yet and is wondering if the sound might be a reminder of his unwillingness to make this business change. On the other hand, there might be no connection at all to the visit of the medium because he also used binaural beat sounds at that time and it might be connected to using these sounds. Directly when the problem started, he consulted a medical doctor, but of course this didn't help either. Do you have any advice on how he might resolve this condition? Well, I'd have to know a little bit more detail to go into much detail myself. He said he consulted a medical doctor. Now, does that rule out the tintinitis? See, tintinitis is a, is a, is a physical problem with the uh, nervous system attaching to the, to the uh, uh, cochlea of the ear where you have the pressure waves and thereby getting the signals of the pressure waves uh, through that fluid and interpreting those into information. And if those nerves aren't healthy, if, uh, if your ear isn't, uh, you know, has problems, then you often will get this ringing in your ear and it's persistent. Sometimes it gets louder, sometimes it gets less, and that often has to do with attention. You put your attention on it, it gets louder. You think about other things, it gets less loud, but still it's just there. And that's a physical, that's a physical problem. Okay, it has to do with the rule set and the physical problem. Now, if he went to a doctor and the doctor checked out his his uh, hearing and ruled out tinnitus as a as an answer, then that would give me a completely different set of of uh, possibilities to discuss with him. Now, if the doctor didn't do that, if the doctor really didn't you know spend that much time with him and really didn't determine his uh, his hearing uh, capacity physical hearing capacity, then it could still be tendonitis. And he may just have uh, damaged nerve endings uh, in, his, in his ear. Now, let's say that's not the case. He doesn't have damaged nerve endings in his ear. If that, if that is not the case, and this has to do with something else other than physical ear damage, inner ear damage, then it could be any, you know, any number of things. It could be that it was just a something to happen to him, an experience that would push him to talk to this lady who was the psychic or whatever, so she could give him a message that he needed. You see, it could have all been just kind of a, a, a um, manipulated setup, if you will, to get him into this medium, and then he didn't, you know, he he, he didn't do the message. On the other hand, it could have nothing to do with that lady or that message you got about his business. It may have nothing at all to do with that. That may be something else altogether. He may just out of his free will just went off on a wild hair and decided to do that and talk to this, talk to this, uh, the psychic and get that message. And it may be irrelevant to what's going on. So I, I can't really look at it and tell him what probably is the issue unless I know a whole lot more about you know the details of what's of what's going on. Many things can have you know most things can have a multitude of probable sources, and the way to to uh, do that is to eliminate the ones that don't seem to to fit the the case. You know I do a quick scan and and look at that. Um, I 
don't, uh, you know, it's really hard to tell. Again, just looking at things, the, the, the data I get in, in looking at it is not enough to really give me a detailed description of what's, of what's going on. For that, I'd have to go more involved in looking at maybe why and, and how and history and that kind of stuff, which I don't do in just a couple of seconds, which I can just pull in data in a few seconds. It's not so hard to do, but uh, doing an in-depth analysis of it just takes a lot more time. So my guess is that, um, you know, he should get it checked out by a medical doctor to find out whether or not, and maybe he's already done that, whether or not it's tendonitis or some other kind of organic ear damage. If not, he should try working with it with his intent. And with his intent, he can probably make it louder or dimmer, and eventually he can learn to make it go away when he wants it to go away. And if he, if it's something that's given to him, if it's an experience he has that has something else connected to it, okay, if there's if that sort of thing, like uh, you know, Ingeborg had something connected to her event of seeing the box and then later getting the message to deal with it. This was just some of the first steps in a lesson plan for things for her to be doing and working with and be involved in. So it's, it's it was part of a progression. And if that's it for him, he needs to figure that out. So in his meditation, he needs to go to the source and see what is this. Now, this is after the medical people said it's not a physical problem. If it's a physical problem, then it's a physical problem. You know, that's a rule set problem. Now you have to deal with the rule set of BMR. If it's not a physical problem, then he should meditate and find out what the source of it is. Learn to control it, make it louder or dimmer or quieter uh, with his intent and find out where is it going to lead him? Is this leading, is this the first step in a, in a process? And if so, uh, was did he already do the first step? Just contact that lady and she gave him some advice. Uh, it could be anything. The consciousness system could be wanting to give him a message. It could be they're just giving him a, a trail to follow just because it would be good lesson for him to try to figure it out. You know, maybe it's one of those things. Um, really hard to say without a lot more analysis on the on the subject so he should work with it though it's it's his noise in his ear he needs to own it and not so much think that this is something that has been imposed on me and i wonder why why as this is an experience of mine and i want to explore it it's a different way of looking at it explore that experience be with it go with that noise so see if it takes you someplace See if you can find a, a reason for it. Is it, a, is it a, a first step in a series of steps that you're going to take? But nobody really should tell you that or probably will tell you that because if that's the case, it's for you. It's your discovery. It's like those video games you get into. At least there used to be a bunch of video games like that. They're just exploratory games. You get in the game and you really don't know what the point is so much as you just well, you click on this and see what happens. <laughs> Nothing happens with that. Well, you click on this other thing and see what happens. They're just exploratory games where you, you, you know, probe the game until you find out really what's going on and, and what the point of it is. And you have to discover that yourself just in, in probing. And I say this is the same way. Don't look as it as something that happened to you, but it's something that is an experience of yours that, that you can explore. And maybe at the end of your exploration, you feel that nothing, nothing's really there. Well, then just learn to suppress it or ignore it and go on with your life. Maybe something will come to you later to give you a connection. Tom, the next question is from Shaw. Um, he wants to know, how does one remove the feeling of pressure to succeed in accessing zero-point consciousness? and exploring other realities. Okay, now I'm guessing what he means by zero point consciousness is what I just call point consciousness. That is where you have let all of the physical data that you collect with your senses go. You're no longer operating on any of that data. So you, you, uh, your awareness is just as a point of consciousness floating in a dark void. 
that's what I call point consciousness. I'm not sure what he means by zero point consciousness because zero point things really apply to, to uh, other ideas. But So I'm just going to make that assumption he's talking about point consciousness. And he feels a pressure. Now I'm going to interpret that, that the pressure is not physical. It's not like he feels you know, somebody pushing on his forehead while he's trying to do this. Um, though some people do feel physical pressures, just like they get a vibration and other things. You know, if that's the, if it's a physical pressure you feel, even if it's non-physical, you know, if, there's, if we're talking about pressure, like something pushing on you, pressure, then just go with it. Don't be afraid of it, and don't try to fight it and struggle with it. Just become one with it. Let it go. Uh, don't struggle. Now, if he's talking about pressure, like he puts pressure on himself, he wants to go out of body real badly. You know, this is what I want to do. And I, I want to do it so bad that it gets in the way of my doing it because I have all this anxiety about it. It's it's uh, something I want. It's I focused. Therefore, it's a it's an ego issue. It's, it's I want to do it. Maybe an ego issue. I'll say doesn't necessarily have to be. But if that's the case and you are pursuing it, then it'll probably never come. If you pursue it too hard, you never get there. Well, I shouldn't say never. Some people pursue it and do get there. They struggle and struggle and struggle. And after years and years and years of work, they may finally get there. Basically, what happens then is it wears them out. They get to the point that they just kind of give up. And then once they give up, things start to happen. Because if it's your intellect that's chasing, then you're not going to find. You see, your intellect is searching. You have to get out of your intellect. You have to just be and let it happen, not use your intellect to go grab it and force it to happen. If you want to force it to happen and make it happen, you are just prohibiting it. You're just making it more difficult for it to happen. So you just have to have your mind open and let it happen. No expectations. If you're thinking about out of body, okay, what I want to do is float up out of my body and then turn around and see my body lying there in the bed. If you, if you want to have that classical out of body experience, now you have created an expectation. And anything that happens to you that doesn't fit that expectation, you will immediately reject as a failure. Well, chances are, if you have any uh, any success, you'll reject it because you're you've only you're only going to accept success in a certain way. You're trying to have somebody else's experience. Somebody else experienced that. You read about it in a book, and you think that's it. And if you don't experience that, then it's not real. Well, everybody experiences things differently in different ways. What you read in a book was somebody's interpretation of what they did, and you may not follow that same path. So you need to get rid of all those expectations and just be, have an intent that's clear of what it is you wish to accomplish, have absolutely no expectation of how that might happen or the way that it might happen or the metaphors that you might use or what it might look like or anything else. Just let it go. And sometimes you will do best if you just let your imagination run. Your imagination is part of your consciousness. It's not like, oh, the imagination, that's the fake you. That's not the real you, that's just your imagination. Your imagination is as much a part of your consciousness as your intellect is. And you can let that imagination run free. But remember, eventually you do have to be skeptical and you don't judge, is this real? You judge, is this useful? So that's a path that then will be easier for you to let your, just open yourself up, let it go. Don't be afraid to imagine. Don't be afraid to just let anything happen that happens. Let, let your experience wander where it, where it will. Keep at it, keep working at it. And a couple of months later, ask the question, has this been useful? Am I getting anything out of this? Is there, am I learning anything? Is it going anywhere? And if the answer is no, then do something different. It's not, it's not the right, it's not the right process for you. So 
a lot of people get so wadded up over the experience that they expect to have that they can never have any experience at all. That's very typical. All right, Tom, the next question is also from an MBT forum user, and it's on collecting data. Uh, in using the database, can one go and find what they said when they were five years old? Can one go and interrogate someone who's still alive at a time when they were much younger? Um, what is it like getting past data or present time information from the database? Okay, yes, one can do all of those things. That's information that's available. But remember, you, you won't necessarily get, how can I say this? It, it's not the same as being, the, it's not the same as this physical reality, okay? When you ask these questions, you get telepathic responses. A telepathic response is a response of a paragraph, sometimes a chapter. You just get big chunks of information. You don't get strings of letters and words like we get here in our language. Now, you will interpret those in terms of strings and words because you have to interpret all the data you get in terms of your experience and the way you think and the way you speak. So you will interpret it that way, but that's not necessarily what you got. Your interpretation is going to be based on your own history and your own thoughts. And if you have any biases in this case, oh, you're going to talk to yourself when you were younger. I sure hope I was a nice little guy, you know, and, uh, you know, you're going to have a bias to interpret things that sound nice as opposed to things that don't because that's what you want to hear. So you have to get rid of all that ego and all of that fear and have no expectations and just get it and realize that what you get is not necessarily exactly the data you got, but your interpretation of it. So you learn to read between the lines, not just read the lines. Now, sometimes what you get, you can take literally. Other times you can't, you have to take it metaphorically, but you'll have to know the difference with your intuition. So yes, you can get that. You can go visit yourself with a child and you can hear the things you say, and it may be perfectly accurate to the word, or you may be interpreting a paragraph in your own words. It could be either way. How do you know which way it is? You don't, because you only get the data you get. You never get to interact with the source of that data. The source of that data is the larger consciousness system. You're not having a conversation. You're not, you know, you're not able to ask questions about, well, could this data have been this way or that? Well, you might be able to do that, but you won't. You know, you're probably not going to get anything much different than what you get. So you ask your question, you get information, you interpret the information. What can you get out of that? What did it have meaning for you? Now, if that creates a question, well, was that like this or like that? Go back and ask that question. You can explore things more, but realize what you get is an interpretation. It's not, uh, you know, it's a telepathic chunk, and then you're interpreting it. So that data is available. You can go back into the childhood of, of your next door neighbor or, you know, Albert Einstein or you know, anybody that you'd like to do that. And you will be getting either just what was said or done or what was probably said and done, uh, depending on how accurate the database happens to be and how long ago it was, will determine how much is actual and how much is probable and what you get. But take it with a grain of salt because a lot of it is your interpretation. The important thing is, is, is it of value? Do you get something from it? If the information is valuable, if you get insights from it, then keep after it, keep doing it. And don't question, where did it come from? You know, is this real? Did, it, did I say exactly that? Was that really me? If you get into all that judging, you're going to get in the way of the thing happening. You have to just let the data flow and then ask the question, is this useful? Not, is this right? You'll not ever get an answer to, is this correct? You will get an answer to, is this useful? Because that's an answer you can figure out on your own. All right, Tom, the next question is from Shaw on Earth PMR. Um, I've heard on MBT forums that you believe that it's unlikely that there's more intelligent life out there 
and this PMR uh, other than humans? Is it true? And if so, is this PMR dedicated solely to Earth um, and everything beyond Earth is just data we perceive? Yeah, um, I was having to raise your volume. Somehow I must have bumped mine and it was real low. Did you say okay. that this person believes that I said that it was unlikely that there yes. are other, uh, other uh, life forms in our physical universe? In our, in our physical universe, in our, our system, no. our, our particular I would, system. I would deny ever saying that because I really don't feel that way. So if I said it, I, I I don't remember and kind of doubt it because that's not the way I feel about it. Um, well, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. One, if you look at it the statistical way, which is the way most scientists look at it, they say there's so many billions of galaxies with each one has billions of suns, which each one has, you know, so many probably don't see planets because they don't give off light. There's a probability that there's, you know, many, many billions of planets and so on. And there's a good probability that some of them will will uh, have an environment that would uh, favor life forms evolving of some sort, et cetera, et cetera. And if you look at the statistics, there's a very high probability that there would be other places in our physical universe that had life forms grow up there. Okay, So there'd be other beings, if you will. Now, it's all part of the same virtual reality. So if you had beings that evolved in some other planet in some other form that had interesting choices to make, like we do here, like our dogs and cats do, then you would have parts of the larger conscious system connecting there and using that experience as a learning lab, just like you do, just like we're doing here, connecting with these avatars. So in that case, that seems statistically very likely. Now, on the other hand, and this is maybe where they get their idea from, so there's, and I have no qualms with that, I agree with that, that's statistically very likely that this would take place because there's so many suns, so much possibility that the probability gets to be fairly high, that indeed this is the case, that there is life on other planets and other other galaxies in our physical universe. On the other hand, this is a virtual reality. And in a virtual reality, you only have to compute what somebody's asking. You only have to compute if some, if, you know, if, if the question's asked, you have to compute an answer. If the question isn't asked, you don't have to compute an answer. That's the nature of a probabilistic virtual reality. So, in other words, if, if I open a box and look inside, then the virtual reality rendering engine has to compute what's inside the box. There can't just be a, a hole in there, you know, that, that there's nothing there. There has to be something there, even if it's just air in the inside of the box. You know, something has to appear when you look in the box. So the box either has a ball in it or it's just it's empty and I see say it's cardboard and I see the cardboard interior walls of the box when it's full of air and I notice that there's air in there because I can wave my hand around it and feel it. So that's me making a measurement. And when I make a measurement, the system sends me data that tells me, you know, the result of my measurement, what I find. All right. So if this is a virtual reality and it's here uh, and able to evolve a place for individuated units of consciousness to find avatars that have interesting decision space so that they can grow up, all right, then you might think that, well, look, all those suns, all those, all those uh, other galaxies and so on, that'd be a great waste because there'd be all of this stuff going on all over the universe and the only people are here on this one little planet, this one thing, you know, what a, what a waste of com computational resources. Well, that's not so. It's not waste of computational resources because it doesn't have to compute all that other stuff. All those stars are just a light in the sky, just a point of light. That's all that has to be computed because that's all we can see. How much trouble is it for a computer to put a lot of little points of light someplace? See, not much trouble at all. So if you look at it from that perspective, you could say, well, this simulation may just be about us 
and giving us this experience and all the rest of it you know it's like the it's you know it's like the props on the stage we only see the props we don't see behind the curtain you know behind the stage or whatever we see those little points of light out there and they're organized into galaxies and super galaxies and we can you know we take a measurement with a telescope and we say okay i'm going to resolve this issue oh look there's two suns circling each other out there not just one all right now i got that information that little dot of light is actually two dots of light and i got that but if i don't make the measurement one dot of light will do. As soon as I look at it with my eyeball and not a telescope, one dot, one dot of light will do. You so see, it's, it's that sort of thing. You only get what you measure. So only when people look out in the universe with big telescopes do they get all this intricate stuff. And then when they stop looking, there's no need to do that anymore because nobody's getting that data. You have to get the sense of a virtual reality. It's just defined by the data that each individual consciousness receives. So it may not be a big waste of resources to not populate all the rest of it. And we could be the only one here. And this is just our schoolhouse and all the rest of it's just, just, uh, you know, uh, props and, and, uh, it just looks big when we look at it because that's, that's what we see. That's in the rule set, but it doesn't necessarily cost anything at all for the system to have to render it. Because the system only renders what we see of it and only when we see it. So that's easy. So in that case, you see, we could be alone here, if you like, because the rest of it may not be inhabited. Now, what if he created this whole universe and uh, the larger consciousness said, well, you know, I've got a whole lot of individuated units of consciousness and I'd need, uh, you know, a thousand, a hundred thousand different planets full of, you know, critters in order to use all my uh, individual unit of consciousness, then it would probably have to populate several places in the universe. But if this one was enough, then maybe that's all there is. So what I'm saying is it could be either way. Rationally, you can say that it's that it that the system could say, well, I've got so many individuated unit of consciousness and I need more, so I've got a universe here that's a good virtual reality. Why would I need to make another one? I'll just use, you know, a, a, 100,000 or million planets in this one and populate all of them. Or you could have a larger conscious system that says, well, I only need this one. That's all the individual units of consciousness I really got that are at the level that they can use this, this interaction. I only now have, what, seven and a half billion of them that can uh, work on humans and another, uh, you know, couple of trillion that are working on uh, uh, lesser levels of critters here. So, you can't tell, you see, you just don't know. There isn't any fact that tells you that it has to be one way or another. These are all possibilities and they all could be reasonably probable given different circumstances. So there's really no way to know. So I did not say that it's improbable that there's anything else out there in our universe. I probably did say there might not be. Scientists think that there must be because in a scientist's mind, our physical reality is all the reality there is. You see, and if this is it, if this is just all the reality there is, then why wouldn't other things evolve other places? I agree with that. If this, you know, I agree with them. That's being logical. I don't necessarily agree with their result, but I agree with their idea that that's a rational result. But they don't understand it. This is a virtual reality. And as a virtual reality, you're not wasting space that you're not using because you don't you don't uh, calculate the stuff that nobody is making measurements in. And it's possible it could just be about us. Now, what does the data say? One of the problems that the scientists have with, with their idea is that, well, I think it boils down to the where are they? If these, if these other individuals in our physical universe have evolved other places, Many of them should be many millions, many, many millions of years of, in advance of us because our little solar system where we live is not the oldest part of the universe. It's a, more of a younger part of the universe. It's more of a medi medium part of the universe. It, it wasn't in the beginning. It's not near the end. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. 
So there should have been other inhabited places where evolution took place and created critters on planets that have now been evolving for say 100 million years longer than we have. Well, if that's the case, if they've had another 100 million years to evolve, and if they evolved anywhere near the rate that we did, they should be a whole lot smarter than we are. Gonna, they are where we'll be in another 100 million years from now, you see? And if that's the case, where are they? Why haven't we seen them? Why haven't they come by to say hello? You see, you've got that sort of thing. So if, if we are not alone and you have all of this and we're one of the, you know, we're, we're in the medium age and there's a lot that are older than us, then we should have a lot of older big sisters and big brothers out there someplace that could come by and, and say hello, but we haven't seen any of them. Well, that's what the scientists say. There's lots of people that see them all the time. You know, they land in their yard and live under their bed and other, other places. So a lot of people do see them, but uh, we haven't actually officially seen any of them and the scientists haven't seen any of them. So science says, where are they? Um, so in that case, maybe the fact that uh, we are alone and the rest of it are just lights in the sky, then that's a possibility that that would answer their question of, of where are they? Now, I don't know that that's the case. It uh, is just another possibility. So this is all conjecture. You just look at the possibilities and say, you know, what, what, how could it possibly be? And what are the probabilities that these things could be that way? And I see decent probabilities on both sides. So I'm very open-minded about it and think it could be either way at all. I would not say that it's unlikely or very likely to be either of these possibilities. They're just, they're just out there. They're just possibilities. You just don't know. We have to live gracefully with uncertainty. All right, Tom. The next question uh, comes from MBT Forum user Quamta, and it really has something to do with uh, what we're talking about now. I know you've mentioned there are other PMRs. How how do the other PMRs compare to ours? And he's really asking, are there humans like us, and are the elements similar? Uh, he also uh, asks about... Uh, the, the elements that exist as, as carbon, silicon, hydrogen, are there different different properties to these different PMRs? He also asks, um, is Robert Monroe's locale three real? And additionally, have you ever incarnated in another PMR? Well, that's a lot of questions. We'll, we'll try to we'll try to go through those. Uh, for the most part, um, they are fairly similar. The other, the other PMRs, the other reality frames that have tight rule sets like this one are somewhat similar to ours. I have been in some where the dominant species was very much like us, humanoid. Okay? I've been in some where the dominant species has not been anything at all like us. It's a different kind of form altogether, but actually a lot like us as far as consciousness and, and that sort of thing. It's just the outer form is different. So it doesn't look humanoid, it looks something else. And though it, the, the underlying, the consciousness behind it is, is still pretty similar to us. <clears throat> so those are things that I have, I have experienced. Um, when you go someplace that is say very much like us and it's kind of humanoid, I don't know whether it's carbon-based or not. I mean, that's hard to say. All I know is what I see. You'd almost you'd have to take uh, you know instruments and and do uh, you know measurements on you know what the stuff's made of and to find out you know how it was actually constructed. But it appears to be very much the way we are. So now, why might that be? Well, you know, this is the kind of ties into the question we had before about uh, other other life in the universe realize this is a this larger conscious system is a digital system so let's say it has evolved a physical universe so that it will evolve avatars so its consciousness can connect to an avatar and make or help itself grow up by the quality of its decisions well if you have you've succeeded in creating a rule set that's stable long term enough to evolve such avatars that's probably hard to do 
it's probably hard to come up with a rule set that evolves, you know, that can evolve over, you know, a few billion years and end up, uh, you know, supporting avatars like this. I think you'd probably just copy that. And if you needed another one, you just copy and paste. And now you have another one of those universes, very similar, a similar kind of rule set, you see, and you'd use that, except it would be a whole different set of IUOCs, you know, playing avatars. And it would evolve in its own way. But it would look kind of similar to this one. So the fact that I find similarities isn't all that surprising in a digital system. And particularly if you think it's a very complex system, it's a very tight, very finely balanced uh, rule set that allows us to have evolved the way we have. You know, and sci the scientists will tell you that there's a, there's a whole array of constants and, and other facts that if they just changed a little bit, if they, if they just move, you know, these constants a little bit in the fourth or fifth decimal place, the whole thing falls apart. It doesn't work. You know, you don't end up with what we've got. It's like these constants are, these constants we have are kind of magic and they just fit this reality frame. Well, that tells you that making a rule set that evolves into what we have, this universe and then us, is pretty a pretty complex, refined and balanced rule set. And there are probably millions of trial and errors that the system did before it found a rule set that would be this productive and produce really workable avatars like us. So it's not all that, um, you know, it's not all that strange to imagine that once you find one like that, that you would, you would copy and paste if you needed another one. So that would also tie into what we said before, because instead of just populating lots of planets on this one, you could just create lots of universes because a universe really isn't much trouble to create any more than it is just our solar system. Because the universe other than our solar system is pretty much just lights in the sky. And the computer can create lights in the sky by the billions, by the, by the trillions without any problem if it only has to create those trillions when somebody looks and only while they're looking. You see, the, the idea that it's a virtual reality just gives the whole problem of the larger conscious system, you know, a different viewpoint. It can make as many of these universes as it wants and only have one, one planet in the universe that's, uh, you know, producing uh, avatars if it wants. It's not a big waste of its resources. Not at all. You just have to think of it in, in terms of digital, a digital system. So that's a possibility. Not necessarily that that's correct. That's just a possibility. So let's see. I've answered some of his questions. So when you go there, it just seems like here, and those that are most similar to us, those that are dissimilar, it seems like here from the consciousness viewpoint of entities interacting, but the critters and the fauna and the you know the stuff that's there is all evolved very differently. So it's not really that different uh, consciousness-wise. They're still interacting in very much the same ways that we interact. They're still having ego and fear problems in the same way that we do. They're just doing it in a different physical context. So I'd say the stuff that matters is the consciousness stuff. The rest of it is just kind of the props on the stage. So from that viewpoint, yes, most of it's very similar and uh, probably cut and paste similar. He was also asking about um, Robert Monroe's constructive oh, locale, locale three. three. Yeah, well, Bob Monroe had these lo locales. Now you have to understand that Bob Monroe, um, he was a very good reporter. He went out of body and he came back and tell you exactly what he saw. And he was very good about that. He didn't add a lot to it, didn't subtract from it, didn't make stuff up. He just told you what he saw and the way he interpreted it. But you have to understand that Bob didn't see these as his personal interpretations. He saw these as places he went. So going to Locale 3 was sort of like going to Chicago. You know, it, it didn't have anything to do with him. Chicago doesn't have anything to do with him. When he gets to Chicago, it's there because that's the way Chicago is. You see, but when you go someplace and out of body, 
It's not like that. What you see is what you interpret from the data that you get. So you have a, a pretty big uh, part in what it is you see. So if you say, I saw, you know, a, a big guy, he had three heads and long teeth and he was really scary. Well, that's your interpretation. And it could be your fear that created that, that image by something in the data that scared you or something in your own self, in your own uh, consciousness that's frightened you. Because the data all runs together. The data that you create in your we'll call it the imagination, but in your consciousness and the data you get from outside, all that data looks the same to you. Data is data. You get it and you interpret it. Trying to separate your data out from outside data is problematical. With practice, you get better at it. As you first start, you're terrible at it. You can't, you don't know, but with practice, and Bob had a lot of practice. Bob was pretty good. That's why I say he was pretty good at telling you what he, the data that he got, but it was in his own metaphors, his own characterization of it. So he saw all these locale three, one, two, three. One was a near earth, two was, was uh, uh, the people involved with earth. Three started to get further, further away from, from uh, our, uh, our earth and our civilization. And then pretty soon you got out to where it didn't have anything to do with we humans. It was entirely beyond us. And matter of fact, most everybody he ran into never heard of Earth or humans or anything else. It was just different. So they got progressively further away from being associated with us in his in his locales. And he saw those as places. They're not places. They're metaphors. As he got in, as he had different experiences, some of them tend to fit together and look like they were similar of a sort, he'd drum, glom them up into a thing and give them a locale number, a locale yeah, one or two or three. These are all near-Earth kind of experiences, locale one. These are these kind of experiences, locale two. These are just arbitrary labeling of groups of experiences that seem similar to Bob in some way. Okay, so this is, these are Bob's metaphors for this. So don't think of locale three. Does it really exist? You see, that's thinking of locale three like Chicago. You know, it's a place that's just out there, and anybody gets out there and not out of body, they're going to see all these locales, and they'll go to locale three, and it'll be just like Bob described. These are Bob's descriptions, his metaphors for what he experienced. So no, locale three doesn't exist. But did what Bob, the data he got when he described locale three, yes, that existed. He got the data. He was very competent at what he did. And that data is real, that he turned it into a locale three and made it a place. That's Bob's own work. That's not necessarily the way it is. If somebody goes out there, will they, may they experience very similar kinds of things that Bob experienced in locale three? Sure, because they'll get similar data perhaps and they may interpret it in a similar way does that mean they're in locale three there really is no locale three or one or two or the rest of it they're just different perspectives different ways of slicing and dicing the data it's not uh, fundamental it's a metaphor okay well he goes on to ask too uh, i know you're aware of other PMRs and that some of them are mostly negative and you've perhaps visited that in those places yeah. in out of body he asks if you've ever incarnated into one of these places um, not that I know of you know I haven't uh, I haven't traced back past incarnations very much because I don't really find much use in it um, so I don't know of any that I've been in any of those other places, but I haven't visited some that have been mostly, uh, you know, sweet and nice, peace and light. And I've been to some that were mostly pretty nasty and uh, negative. Um, it's the opposite of peace and light, um, you know, war, war, warring and dark, you know, not, not nice places. So, yes, there are 
there are some that are extreme on either side and there are mostly things in the middle like us that are struggling trying to figure out you know which ends up and trying to learn and, and making choices to to grow up there's more of them that are in the middle than it than in the extreme of either end uh i know i don't know of any time i have lived there for you know permanently like incarnated there now i've been there and lived at any any a number of these you know been there for what would seem in the local time there to be maybe uh you know two or three months stay there for several months at a time to kind of get to know the people and the lay of the land and understand a little what's going on but it wasn't months here it was probably more like hours here instead of months there again the clocks are just different so time in one place just doesn't relate to the time in another there's two different clocks and two different two different ways of, of uh, dealing with it remember you're just getting a data stream you're not going to a place and that's the same with locale three or one of these other universes you're not going to a place we say that because that's our language that's our metaphor because it's not here therefore it's somewhere else so we have to go there and we go to a place that's all metaphorical it's not a place you're getting a different data stream you're connecting to another um, virtual reality you are just a consciousness consciousness doesn't have doesn't live in a 3d reality they're not places oh i'm here and it's over there and i travel over there and go visit i go out to locale too and that's the stuff in locale too you're just getting different data streams and the data stream you get has a lot to do with your intent what do you intend to find out what do you intend to know what is it you need to learn oh i need to learn these sorts of things these kinds of experiences would be good for my education so those are the experiences that you get okay and bob was like that as well he was learning this out of body he needed the material for writing books because that was part of his contribution to you know to the plan so he was writing the books he needed that very broad experience of a lot of places so he got a very broad you know set of data sent to him you may not get that same set or you may get a very similar set and then you will interpret it you're a consciousness getting a data stream you're not actually traveling around in some kind of and you know some kind of super dimensional space where you go places and see things it's a data stream and the data stream has a lot to do with you and what you need in order to grow up it's not you know it's just not like traveling to chicago it's a whole different concept altogether well tom um when you mentioned copy and paste very quickly i think the technical people understand that concept very well and it's very interesting to me when you say that the larger consciousness system could copy and then paste and make another physical matter reality mm -hmm. would that grasp our everything about this reality at that certain time take our history and then run it as a new one would there be elements of our things that existed mm -hmm. yeah it could be you see it's a it's a, yeah think of what people could do who are running virtual reality games here. Well, if you're running a virtual reality game called The Sims, you could take a copy of that and you could paste it and then you'd have another whole game that you could sell to people and you know get people to sign up for and pay you $10 a month to go in and you could change things in it, but you could basically start out with it at any form. You could start out with it that's, that had, that had uh, you know, people in it but the computer played them all and then as you got as you got uh you know consciousness to come along and pay ten dollars a month to get in the game then you know you'd give them one of those and then the computer would stop playing them and that person would start playing them you see you could do that you can start in the middle or you could just start at the beginning and say well okay let's go to the point before we had any any customers in the game let's take it there and we'll copy it at that point and paste it and then we'll We'll get customers in and, and set up another game. You know, we'll call that something else other than The Sims, and we'll have another game going. It's digital. It's a digital system. It's consciousness. It's just information, and you can copy and paste at any point you want. Could be in the middle, and yes, then you'd have some history. Um, 
that's like the history. You know, when you open up a, into a virtual reality game, often your first 15 minutes in the game is they're telling you the history line. They're giving you the storyline. Oh, there was an evil wizard that lived on the mountain that, you know, did this and that. And you get the whole storyline. And then the rest of the game then plays out, you know, the storyline. So you could start like that with a storyline. Or you could just start like some virtual realities where you just go explore. Here you are. Here's the rules. Go have fun. You know, go push buttons, click things, uh, you know, find out what it is you want to do. There are some that are more like that. They don't really like Minecraft. They don't really have a storyline. You make up your own story. You just you just are there. So you could, you know, you could do any of those. It could start at any place. You could take a branch off of ours and say, oh, let's start right before the Civil War in America. And we'll take that and start another whole reality frame starting there. All you need to do is the computer would have to play characters until it got enough independent characters to come in and play the game and off it would go. And would it end up exactly where we did? Probably not. You'd have different players making different choices. It may go someplace else. Would it be similar to ours? Probably, because it has a lot of the, you know, similar sorts of stuff at that point. So any of those could be done. That's the thing about digital systems. They are so flexible that there's almost anything can happen.